flaming volcanoes with the B-52s, Cajun spaghetti sauce with the Crown Prince of Zydeco, and exploding jars of jam with Texas Music Hall of Famer Ruthie Foster. This week, we talk with rock stars. Traveling the world to bring you delicious dishes, tasty beverages, and interesting experiences. This is the Destination Eat Drink Podcast on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. I'm Brent Peterson. Welcome to Destination Eat Drink, the travel podcast for foodies. This week, we're talking food and drink with musicians. Folks like Kate Pearson of the B-52s, Jason Ringenberg of Jason and the Scorchers, Grammy nominee Ruthie Foster, and the Crown Prince of Zydeco, C.J. Chenier. I always love talking to musicians because they spend a lot of time on the road. So they get to sample all kinds of food and see all kinds of cool places. So we talk about road food, but the conversation often comes back to home cooking and the dishes they enjoyed growing up. So there's a wide variety to talk about from fish and chips in the UK to grandma's biscuits. And first up is Jason Ringenberg. Jason was a founder of the groundbreaking country punk band Jason and the Scorchers. He's had a successful solo career and he just released the record Rhinestoned. We'll have a link to get that in the show notes at radiomisfits.com. Jason and I talked about one of my favorite cities, Glasgow, Scotland. Every time I go to the to the UK, to Great Britain, I always, one night, and it usually needs to be an off night, I have legitimate fish and chips. I mean, fish and chips like we get here or fish and chips that you might get at the London airport or something, it's not fish and chips. Fish and chips need to be a proper fish and chips shop. And every town in England and Scotland has a fish and chips shop. And there, it's an experience beyond just the food. For starters, most dishes and restaurants in, in, the, in, in the Great Britain, you get very small helpings and it's just small like everything in the UK. You know, it's all small. Fish and chips is a huge dinner. It's a gigantic piece of fish and a big, big a pile of chips, which they, what they call chips. Those are, are fries. We call fries are, they're chips. That's what they call them. And every single condiment that you get, you have to pay for. It's a really interesting thing. If you get mushy peas, <laughs> you have to have mushy peas. Uh, mushy peas cost like 90p, 90, 90 pence. Uh, the little spoon to eat the peas costs 3p. Uh, <laughs> vinegar, that's a little bit extra. You know, uh, yeah, you pay for every little thing. Like it's like these little pennies for every little piece of this fish and chips. I'm going sit- to save three P and, and eat it with my hands. Exactly. That's that's exactly what you can do. And so every tour of the UK, I try to find, you just find a local one. You ask the locals, what, where's the legitimate fish and chips shop? And they'll tell you where to go. You usually see one, maybe two in each town. There's no such thing as a fish and chips chain. That's proper fish and chips. There's all kinds of chips chains like hamburger chains in the U.S. They're not fish and chips. You got to go to the local one that's that's locally owned, and that no one really, you know, that the tourists don't really know about. And it's a fantastic experience. But you better go to, be prepared to veg out now. Then afterwards, for three or four hours, easily. It's more fat in a fish and chips dinner than than you know, you should get all week. And I see on this uh, tour, you're heading to one of my favorite UK cities, which is Glasgow in Scotland. Um, 
you know, everyone goes to Edinburgh in Scotland. I can't remember if you guys are going to Edinburgh on this tour or not. But uh, Glasgow is kind of more working class uh, type of place. This is where I learned about the Glasgow Kiss, which is if you're rooting for the wrong soccer team, they might headbutt you in, in a bar. But anyway, what about uh, Glasgow? Have, have you been to Glasgow before? And what, uh, what are you looking forward to when you guys go to uh, Glasgow this time? Glasgow is, is a f- fantastic place for music. Uh, usually working class towns are good for music for some unexplainable reason. Rock and roll music and country music, folk music, blues music, all go over good in those kinds of towns. And Glasgow is an epitome. It's a quintessential working class city. Um, and yeah, I, I love shows in Glasgow. I, it's one of my favorite places to play. It's true. They have music, it seems, every night. And you just walk around and you see what bar has a sign out front that says they're going to have music. You walk in. If you like it, you hang around. If you don't, you go on to you go on to the next one. Right. Exactly. So what about uh, in the U.S., Jason? What towns do you especially look forward to? that you're going to visit on tour and say, man, I can't wait to go to such and such a restaurant for a meal. Well, usually there's not time to properly enjoy food on the road. You're usually, it's so Spartan and you have to get to where you got to go and do the show. The exception of that for me always is every two years, I'll do a farmer Jason uh, residency in Louisiana, South Louisiana. And uh, I just, you know, I, I camp out in one of the, in one of the uh, towns in South Louisiana. And then I spend three or four weeks doing shows in all the libraries uh, as Farmer Jason. So always there, I have time to really enjoy, you know, Cajun and Creole cuisine. And that's just the best. Um, there's, I, I'd be hard pressed to, to name the one place I like, so I like them all. There, you can always find great, great Creole food and Cajun food in, in, in uh, in South Louisiana. That's always my favorite. What's some of your favorite uh, Creole dishes when you're there? Oh, of course, jambalaya. Um, anything shrimp-based is always just fantastic. I, you know, any, shrimp anywhere but Louisiana is a, you know, it's sort of a last resort usually. Um, shrimp in Louisiana is sublimely incredible. Delicious. So fantastic. Fresh, fresh shrimp is the best. Kate Pearson started the B-52s in Athens, Georgia in the 70s, and they were one of the most influential and groundbreaking bands of that decade and the 80s. I remember hearing Rock Lobster for the first time when I was in middle school, and my little brain was just exploding over what was going on in the speakers. I finally understood it and loved the band, and now... Kate and I got to talk about some of her favorite spots in the place where the band started, Athens, and how the B-52s started their group by spontaneous combustion. It's funny, I've been listening to John Prine because he passed away, and I, I saw yeah. him up, perform up here, and he's got that song, you know, Daddy, Take Me Back to Muhlenberg County, mm-hmm. um, to the town of Paradise, which is destroyed. And um, luckily, Athens was not destroyed. It was actually became like flourished and just became this whole other amazing place. And I always thought Athens was this very magical place because when I moved there, I was a little culture shocked. I loved the people and the food. I was also shocked at uh, how segregated it was. Right. Um, but, and, and still 
kind of, you know, I think in the college is not really very integrated or the part lack diversity, but it was just a beautiful, magical place. I mean, the, the students and the people there were very accepting and, um, it was just felt very friendly and, um, Wait, I'm digressing there, but what was um, what was even the point of what we were saying? <laughs> Just talking about uh, college towns, you know, and how much they change over oh, right, the years. Right. I drifted; my mind drifted off to some some other place. But, but you were you were we back started, in you were back in Athens in the seventies, I think. Kate. I went; uh, my mind traveled back there. Um, you know, when I when we first moved there, and Brian and I were doing the back to the land thing, there was a feed store, like two feed stores, and there was a feed and seed. And there was the farmer's hardware. And there was really no college presence in the town. And when we started the band and we moved away in 1979, but all of a sudden, I think there was one bar, it was called Friends. And um, there, were, there wasn't a lot of bar action happening. But man, when after we moved out, there was a bar, there's a bar in every corner, or two or three in the middle too, and a club, and you could, I mean, it really became a, a college town after we left. I mean, it was really like they closed off one street, and so it was just a walking street, and they had coffee shops and news newsstand and loads and loads of coffee shops, Jittery Joe's, and all these great places. Um, and we used to hang out at this place called Schlotzky's that they had, um, I think that might be a chain, I don't know, but, but anyway, they had free iced tea, like after your first iced tea, they'd just fill her up constantly, and we'd get so high on that iced tea, you know, and make <laughs> all sorts of plans. And right. um, we'd drink coffee, too, and just get a buzz on. And But, again, we didn't have money, a lot of money for food, so we would, like, drink coffee and tea and get really wired. That's what's great about those college towns is you can find a place and you can get the free refills and you can just hang out with your friends and you know, in your case, probably writing music and things like that, or just talking about stuff, solving the world's problems, and you can kill a whole afternoon that way. So that's how we got the idea of the Deadbeat Club, because we did pretty much did kill a whole afternoon there <laughs> and drinking iced tea until we called ourselves. It was a period of time, you know, when we just started the band and we called ourselves the Deadbeat Club, and we're just hanging out and just sort of making plans. We just started, and we would make all sorts of, you know, Ricky had this five-year plan. I, I don't know what it was. The details were it was just a general five-year plan, just to say it. Right. Um, but there were no details in there. It's just like, okay, play, write songs, go to New York. Well, we hadn't even thought of that yet, I don't think. But anyway, we hung out a lot. And then there was the famous beginning of the band, which was Hunan's Chinese restaurant, where we truly were just hanging out together. We hadn't formed the band. We were just all hanging out, crashing parties. And we went to Hunan's Chinese restaurant and we had ordered, we didn't have enough to buy food. So we, <laughs> when you can't eat, drink. So we got a big flaming volcano and we were with our, our friend Owen Scott. So it was just the five of us and Owen. So we had six straws that like came in flames and we all drank it. And then we, we, we might smoke some weed then, and then we went to Owen Scott's house to his basement. He had to write a paper, so he went upstairs, and we jammed in the basement, and we came up with a song called Killer Bees, and that was the beginning of the band. 
And I like to say it started by spontaneous combustion because it was never a plan like, you know, let's start a band and you're, you're, you can play keyboard and guitar and you can do this. And, you know, it just started and we started jamming. And that sort of was the template for the way we wrote and by jamming together from then on. And that's how we got the configuration, you know. C.J. Chenier is the crown prince of Zydeco, and he told me about one of his favorite places, Lafayette, Louisiana, or as he calls it, Lay Flat, Louisiana, and his favorite recipes to make on the road and at home. You know, it's pretty much in Louisiana, the food and the music is what drives those, that state, man. I mean, there's oil and all that kind of junk, but for the most part, the culture part of it, the food and the music, drive Louisiana. I mean, especially Southern Louisiana, like Lafayette and New Orleans, you know, and surround there like Opelousas and Bowbridge and Cecilia and Lake Charles, places like that, man, and just taking over by the food and music. And where where did you used to, when you were in Lafayette, you lived there, you said back in uh, 1990, uh, was there any place that you used to play that you just would take your, uh, you'd just go and jump up on stage and play? Play like Grand Street. We played. Uh, uh, we they had a lot of little small clubs there, like Slim's Waikiki and uh, Richard's Club and uh, Gone West and Antlers and a lot of places like they're all music places. Now they turned downtown Louisiana to just an entertainment strip. You know, it's it's like a real small mini Bourbon Street. <laughs> They don't stop the cars, but there's a lot of clubs on uh, downtown now, a lot of entertainment going on down there. And they have Downtown Live on Friday there. They have bands out on uh, Downtown Square, and I played there. You know, it's just it's a lot of fun, man. I, they call Lafayette Lay Flat because a lot of times people go there and they just lay flat. They don't go nowhere. <laughs> For one reason or another, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, so you make your home in Houston these days. Uh, if I were to go to Houston, where where would where would we go to get the best Creole food in Houston? Oh, man. There's so many restaurants in, in Houston. But the best Creole food I get in Houston to come out of my kitchen. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, That's what I was going to ask you next, CJ. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a home cooking kind of person, you know. And you know, I, I, I like, I like, uh, I like rice and gravy, man, and beans and smothered chops or, or, or stuffed roses or smothered steaks or smothered everything, you know, turkey necks, and all kinds of stuff, man. Smothered pork bones, just. Whatever you could, whatever you could make a gravy with, you know that's me. You know, and, and throw some sweet corn on there, some cornbread, man, over that rice and gravy. And I, I tell you, it's just you could go to. There's a lot of places, soul food places here in Houston. Because I'm a, I'm a soul food man. That's what I like. You know, I'm, I'm not, I'm not big into weird food like asparagus and all that kind of junk like that. That's not me. Gotcha. Some rice and gravy with some beans, all kind of beans, peas, green peas, you know, string beans, uh, 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 like a, a pinto beans, uh, lima beans, all that kind of stuff, man. Mustard greens, collard greens. You can't miss me. 
You know, and there's a lot of places in Louisiana that we might have a place called just oxtails. You know, we sell some oxtails down here too. So there's places over here that, that sell soul food like that, man. But like I say, uh, even when I'm on a road, we bring electric skillets with us. <laughs> you know, we, oh, yeah? we'll go to the grocery store. Oh, man. We go to the grocery store in the New York second, but and buy some onions and bell peppers and green onions and some, some some kind of beef meat and get some of that rice and warm up in the microwave. And we bring electric skillets and barbecue pits and, and grills and all that stuff with us, man. We well, I'll find Airbnb that's got a kitchen and we'll go to work on it, man. That's what we do. <laughs> that is awesome. So who's who's the best cook in the band? Ah, <laughs> Go ahead, CJ. You can say it's you, man. I don't know, I don't know man. We, we we got a few of us that do pretty good. You know, we all got our own little special uh-huh. uh, things that we can cook. I cook something called my specialty is uh, what everybody likes is CJ Chenier's Creole spaghetti sauce. Creole spaghetti sauce. Okay, so so now you're in my wheelhouse. Italian food. Let's talk. Let's <laughs> talk is- about spaghetti sauce. Um, <laughs> what 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 makes it Creole? What do you put in to make it uh, the spaghetti sauce Creole? I put in sauces, corn, and shrimp, along with my tuna sashes and a little red pepper, spice it up. Just got to know how to put it all together to give it that flavor. Uh-huh, uh-huh. But, uh huh. But when when you when you put those sauces and shrimp and corn in there, they kind of turn into a little something different there. So it's like a it's like a spaghetti sauce crossed with a little Creole with a little gumbo. You got the shrimp in there. All right. Yeah. There's, there's no, no gumbo. No, no gumbo. gumbo. It's just it's just a shrimp, you know, and it's still it's still a, a, a tomato sauce base. Yep. But it's the way you make the taste. But the sauces is another shrimp, and you put that corn in there for extra coloring and flavor and, and texture. One of these days, if you ever around, I hook you up. Bro. <laughs> that sounds good, CJ. Um, and and any spices? Do you put any spice in there? Do you have a little secret little shake that goes in? Well, you know, I use I like to use Tony Sashes because it got everything in there, and I might add a little garlic powder and a little uh, uh, red pepper in there with that, you know, to give it some more some more flavor. But Tony Sashes really got pretty much everything in there, so you don't have to. You use a whole bunch of ingredients. You throw the tone in there. You throw some red pepper in there. You throw some onion powder, uh, garlic powder in there with it. Just touch, you know, just to give it a little more flavor, man. Ruthie Foster has been nominated for multiple Grammy Awards, and she is a member of the Texas Music Hall of Fame. I talked to her about growing up in rural Texas, picking Mustang grapes, and her grandma's biscuits. Gosh, I grew up with good cooks. I do good to even, you know, sit in the same kitchen with my aunties and my relatives. I I have to say cornbread was like a a huge deal for uh, my mother growing up. That and chicken and dressing. And she would make that for special occasions. It's like a country thing, you know, Um, chicken and dressing to fill anybody up. You know, you, you keep all this day old bread in the freezer forever. And then it was time to make the dressing with uh, uh, sometimes cornbread, uh, cornbread dressing. And um, it's funny. I was just thinking about my, my grandmother. We call her Big Mama. Big Mama would make these yeast biscuits that were just awesome. Oh. Yeah. And uh, I miss those. 
I haven't made used biscuits in forever. Now you reminded me. I need to do that. Might be time. Might be time to get the skillet out. Did did she cook it in a like a a, a cast iron uh, skillet or how how did she cook her biscuits? Yes, she she did them in a in a skillet. Uh, a couple of skillets because there were a lot of us around when we knew Big Mama was making biscuits. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, when that yeast comes out, we know something something's about to happen. Stay and, close. Uh, yeah, she'd run us out of the kitchen, but when it was time to eat, we were right there, circling the, the back door, waiting. You know, I grew up in um, a rural area just north of Austin here and uh, about two hours north, uh, right on the Brazos River is where my folks, a lot of my folks still still live. And so we grew up with um, biscuits and, and gravy and rice. Um, a lot of my uncles, they still farm there. So lots of corn, uh, watermelon, tomatoes. We, we picked tomatoes every summer growing up as a kid. So food was a, a huge, huge deal to the family um, growing up and raising our own cattle. We still have cattle down on the on the property there at the river, raising our own pigs. You know, I grew up country, and uh, it was a big deal to uh, gather everybody on Sundays just after church and uh, and have a big meal together. So this was your whole family. You had the parents, the grandparents. You probably had a load of cousins, too, for a big Sunday dinner. Yeah. Yeah. I grew up with uh, 22 cousins. Oh, my yeah. goodness. All right. <laughs> you're you're going to need some extra extra seats at the table, I think. Yeah. You know, not all at once, you know, but when we all got together, yeah, that was a, a lot of us. And we spent a lot of time outside because that's what you do is kills. Uh you don't spend time inside. We were climbing trees. Um, you know, Big Mama would have us uh, to while we're out there playing. While you're out there, take a bucket and go pick up pick up some uh, dewberries. While you're out there, why don't you take a bucket and go pick some grapes? You know, and um, Mustang uh, grapes. Can yeah, that's it. You got it. Yeah, those yeah. those grow wild in Texas. I had never had Mustang grapes until I had lived in Texas. And I was like, where have these been all my life? <laughs> <laughs> They're so great. They really are. And I miss that. I miss those days of uh, just biscuits and, and uh, grape jelly. Uh, Big Mama had a huge pantry where she kept all of that stuff. Uh, she canned everything, tomatoes, green beans. Uh, pit, we had to pick peaches for a while. I had an uncle who had a peach orchard. I used to tell the story on stage about my big mama's pantry and how once in a while you hear something go pop and you know that it's something in the pantry where the seal is releasing, right? Yeah. Yeah. And then we'd, we'd go run and tell big mama, something popped in the pantry. <laughs> and she'd pull it out. And it was usually, usually... um the the Mustang grapes the the oh. juice okay and you know, interesting and it, right and so you knew if that popped and that needs to be taken out and what it usually you know what it turns into is wine yeah I was gonna say it's probably fermenting in there mm-hmm so guess what would come out for us when Big Mama got really tired of us running around she'd pull out these <laughs> little bit of tiny glasses 
and she'd give us just a little bit of taste of the, whatever popped in there. This will quiet them down for a while. Yeah, we'd run around because it's mostly sugar. So we'd go into spin cycle for a while, and then we'd just pass out. <laughs> <laughs> okay, there you go. I just love Ruthie's story about her grandma, Big Mama, and those canned Mustang grapes. Makes me laugh every time. Well, that's going to do it for this week. Next week, we are in Nice, France, for a unique dish called Soka. Don't miss that. Until then... DestinationEatDrink.com can help you scratch your travel itch. I just posted a recipe on the blog about one of my favorite vegan recipes, farfalle pasta, carrots, scallions, and sage. I think you'll like it. Get that at DestinationEatDrink.com slash blog. Destination Eat Drink is distributed by the Radio Misfits Podcast Network and head guitar tech Ed Silla. Thanks, Ed. I'm Brent Peterson. Get vaxxed, wear your mask, and I'll see you down the road. Join us next week for another culinary adventure on Destination Eat Drink, a presentation of the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. <laughs>